0: Thank you so much, Abby. We just value so much just being honest and open and really trying to create a culture and a community where we can just all come with our brokenness and just love God together and really help each other. So we really appreciate you doing that video. We're so glad you're here. This is a, a different topic than you might hear at a lot of churches, but we're so excited to be able to talk about this Today, and uh, I just want to throw in one clarifier before we pray and before we jump into First Corinthians chapter seven, which is where we're going to be. I just wanted to say what a blast it is to be at the fall retreat that we went to. It was just a great time of celebrating together and, and uh, glorifying God together. I don't know if you could see in the video. Uh, we had some different Olympic teams, and one of, the, one of the teams was the H20 kids team, which I was on, in Alfonso and them, and I was a little embarrassed. I don't know if you could notice in that, but one of those rope, uh, t- uh, tug-of-war rope things, we won, and in my celebration, I may have stepped on a child during, <laughs> during that. So got to throw that out there, a little embarrassed about that. I think they're okay, but anyway, great to be back on this beautiful weekend from Fall Retreat. To, uh, to talk to you today. So, so excited about sharing with you about God's truth and the hope that he brings to uh, all areas of our life, especially uh, in this one as uh, it, Paul addresses it in 1 Corinthians 7. So why don't we pray together and ask God to uh, speak to our hearts individually. God, thank you for this beautiful weekend and thank you for this opportunity to be together, to dive into your word And uh, Lord, we just acknowledge, Lord, that we could all be in so many different places on this topic of physical intimacy, and we just pray for grace in that. Lord, regardless of our thoughts and regardless of where we're coming from and regardless of our past, God, would you just love on us? Would you speak to us? Would you give us the direction, even the individual direction that each of us need so that we could walk with you hand in hand, Lord, in every area of our lives. Lord, we invite you into that, and we need your grace for that. And so speak to us through your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So a quick story. Early on in my marriage, I was only a few months married, and I lost my wedding ring. If that was any uh, test of like how I was going to be as a good husband and not lose your ring, I failed that test miserably early on. <clears throat> we were only a few months into it, we were married in December, it was February in Columbus, Ohio, and I was pretty confident that I was outside at some point, and because of the coldness, that ring just slipped off of my hand. So we were just scouring everywhere trying to find this ring, and Mary Lynn asked me like, well, what did you do? Retrace your steps. Did you do anything you know, unusual today? And I thought, oh, I, I took the trash out. And so we went to the dumpster, and I'm looking in this nasty dumpster, wondering if my wedding ring is in there. Now, I'm a little OCD. I'm a little germophobic guy, okay? So I had to do some mental gymnastics. How much do I value this ring? It's only 100 bucks, you know? I could go buy another ring. And my wife's standing there looking at me, and I'm just like, yeah, I got to go in here. I got to dive into this dumpster. This is a marriage test right now. Oh, I went in and I'm looking, I'm tearing through trash. And it's so bad to go through your own trash after it's in the dumpster, but other people's trash was in the dumpster. And unfortunately, I went through that horrible experience and it wasn't in there. And we went back to the apartment and we're bummed out. And I'm like, oh man, what the heck? All of a sudden, we get a phone call from my friend said, hey, you were over here the other day. Did you lose a ring? Yes, I did lose my ring. Thank you, Lord, that we found this ring. Now, this ring, it's just a piece of metal, you know? It didn't cost us that much. But you dive into the dumpster because of not the physical value, but because of the deeper value that it represents because of what it means in my heart and in our minds and our emotions and everything that goes into a commitment in marriage, this is not just a piece of metal. It represents so much more and how much more so our bodies in this area of sex that we're talking about. It isn't just about the physical realm. It's about so much more than that. And that's the big idea for this morning. Physical intimacy is a gift created by God that impacts our body, our mind, our heart, emotions, our whole spiritual realm. And I was pleasantly surprised that when we were married, how this encounters all of us. It isn't just a physical thing, but it can be like a litmus test to how we're doing in our relationship and our communication, and our, our thoughts toward one another, and our, our warmness in our heart, and our service to one another. All of these things together is what creates this environment that God has given us. It isn't just a physical thing, but it encompasses us as a person in a deeper, deeper way. And that is what 1 Corinthians 7 is really diving into. So I'm excited about these seven verses that we're going to look at today. I'm going to try to unpack them as quickly as I can because there's just so much here and so many layers of it that are so good. Uh, but we'll just uh, do our best to pull out uh, the truth here that God's trying to say to each of us in the space that we were in. So let's read through 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 1 through 7. Starting in verse 1, now regarding the questions you asked us in your letter, he's writing to the Corinthian people, yes, it is good to abstain from sexual relations, but because there is so much sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman should have her own husband. The husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs and the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. The wife gives authority over her body to her husband and The husband gives authority over his body to his wife. Do not deprive each other of sexual relations unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so that you can give yourselves more completely to prayer. Afterwards, you should come together again so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I say this as a concession, not as a command, but I wish everyone were single just as I am. Yet each person has a special gift from God, one of one kind or another. So let's just jump right into this. Verse 1, going back to that, he says, Now regarding the questions you asked in your letter, and that's fascinating to just think about. A lot of these letters from Paul and these letters in the New Testament are a reply of what's going on in their church. And we know that in the Corinthian church, they had a lot of problems. They had a lot of issues and a lot of brokenness. And most of the book of Corinthians is a correction to this church. They came out of a pagan society. Many of them have asked Jesus into their life, and they're trying to walk with Jesus, but they had all kinds of issues. Mostly, if I were to summarize the whole book of Corinthians, I would say, he would say, Corinthians, stop being so selfish. That's pretty much the theme. All the different things that he goes into in their life are out of selfishness and self-indulgence. But they asked Paul some questions, and that's kind of cool, because the questions that they ask him might be questions that we have today, 2,000 years later. Our culture is asking these questions, and that's why even though it's difficult, we want to talk about it at church because in our environment, and the world around us, we're being barraged with all kinds of messages and all kinds of questions. And he says, hey, you asked me some questions about this area now that you're walking with Jesus and you're going to have a different life. Let me give you some answers to those questions. Now, I know that as I, we, we begin this, you probably all have different questions, and I do, because we come from different pasts, and I've noticed as just talking to people over the years, we have different views of this sexual realm, and I want to just share four of them with you to just kind of acknowledge maybe where you are right now, because the first thing that comes to my mind as I've been preparing this teaching is this could be uncomfortable. This could be something that you're sitting there thinking, boy, I kind of wish I'd stayed in bed today and not come to this message because this is kind of uncomfortable. And I get that and we understand that, but we feel like it's so important, it should still be talked about. If you want to talk about a view of this being uncomfortable, you know, I think about the times when I was explaining this to my own children, okay? That can be uncomfortable. That can be kind of different when you're explaining it to them and how God has intended this and their their eyes are really big and they're just like really? What? That is how it works. You know, it's it can be uncomfortable. Another uncomfortable moment. I was talking to my mom who is a hero of mine. She's a wonderful person. She just turned 80 a few weeks ago. We had a big party for my mom turning 80 and she's been saying, "Hey, I'm going to come up and hear you preach." So she was scheduled to come today on this date. So I called her a couple weeks ago. Hey, Mom, how's it going? She goes, hey, you still want me to come up? And I said, no, actually, I don't want you to come. And she said, why, what's up? I said, well, on that date, I'm going to be talking about sex. And my awesome mom, she says, I could come up and teach that with you, you know? (laughs) It's like, Mom, we're not team teaching on that one, no she's just fantastic. She, she raised six boys. We didn't have any girls, so she just lived her life with seven guys, so I'm sure she would, uh, she would have a lot of great wisdom to share about this area. But I said, no, that will be uncomfortable for me, Mom. Don't come. Come in October when we're talking about Colossians. <laughs> a second feeling that we could have, and this breaks my heart, but it is so real, is that it's not maybe uncomfortable for you, but maybe this whole area is ugly to you. Our culture has twisted this area. They have sent us wrong messages. They've used it for power. They've used it for abuse. Maybe some of you are sitting there today thinking, I don't really want to talk about this. I don't like thinking about it. And I don't like going to these places because some of these areas are just ugly. And it's gross to me. It's dysfunctional. And I really don't even want to think about it because it just brings up hurt, pain, and maybe just negative feelings. And again, we are just so glad you're here and we pray that God would bring uh, hope to you if that's how you're feeling, maybe healing, maybe just an understanding of what he had in mind for this amazing gift, that it was not his intention for these things to become ugly, but that is what our world has made it. For some of you, the third one is that maybe you feel like this is an unbridled area. Maybe you feel like, you know, this is just kind of what uh, I should do, and this is my, my life, and I don't want any guardrails in this area in my life. It should just be unbridled. I should be able to do whatever I want and be with whoever I want and look at whatever I want, and we definitely get those messages constantly through TV through movies, through the song lyrics that we sing, it is just prevalent everywhere. That this is, this is just up to you to decide what you want to do. There's no filter. There's no guidelines. It's unbridled, and it's just whatever you choose to do. And that is not what God's word is saying. Because what God's word is saying, which brings us to our fourth view that hopefully you have, is that this is an unashamed intimacy. That's the healthy view that we hope all of us have and that we pray for, that this is an unashamed intimacy between these two people that's special just for marriage. Isn't it fascinating that early on in the story of God, in the book of Genesis, it says the two were in the garden, they were in paradise, and the two were naked naked, and they were unashamed. Why is that in the Bible early on in the book of Genesis talking about the story of God talking about naked people? It's so fascinating because God is saying these two people came together. Nothing else was in their mind but each other. There was no comparison. There was no negative experiences. There was no ugliness, no uncomfortability, just unashamed enjoying one another, this man and this woman. It's amazing that it's in the Bible. So what are your beliefs as you sit there today? Maybe as I'm going through there, you're just thinking, okay, yeah, maybe maybe I have a little bit of these different views in my life, but I do want to know what God's word says about it. Let's continue on in the chapter to the next point. And this is not my clarifier for this area. This is Paul's clarifier. This is so cool that this is here he first says, I'm not going to answer that first question. I'm going to first give you a clarifier about singleness. So he says this. I'm going, to, I'm going to read verses 1 and then skip to the end of verse 7. Now, regarding the questions you asked in your letter, yes, it is good to abstain from sexual relations. You say it's good for you not to do this. But I wish everyone, this is verse 7, were single just as I am. Yet each person has a special gift from God of one kind or another. So here's this important qualification, this this important clarification for us that it is okay to be single. It isn't just okay to be single, it also is a gift. And if you're sitting there today thinking, I didn't even want to hear this message You know, I don't even know if I ever want to be married. I don't want this to be a part of my life. The Bible says that's good. That's a gift. That's great. And you could go your whole life and not be a part of this whole realm and you can be in an abundant life and have a whole life that God has for you. And that could be your gift to just be single and undistracted. Because if it was good enough for Paul, who never married, and it was good enough for Jesus, who never married, it is good enough for you. And that's something that should be celebrated. And we never want people to feel like in church, like there's something wrong if you're not in a, in a relationship, that that could be an awesome time between you and God. And this has nothing to do with you. And it's so cool that Paul put that in there to, to validate that it is a gift to be single. And to just focus on your relationship with the Lord, that you don't have to have that in your life. He goes on and says for the, for the married people, the people that desire to be married, he says this. We're moving on to verse 2. But because there is so much sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife, and each woman should have her own husband. The husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs, and the wife should fulfill her husband's needs." There's so much being said in here, but I just want to start off by saying he automatically kind of reading between the lines, and this is the story of the whole Bible, if you were to summarize all that it says about sex, which it says a lot about sex in the Old Testament and New Testament, is really there's two environments for sex. The one is a gift from God in marriage to bring intimacy, it's beautiful, It's celebrated. There's lots of verses that just talk about this beauty and this passion and just how exciting it is and something that should be celebrated in marriage. It's wonderful. It's what God had in mind. All the other references to sex that are outside of marriage, or when it's talking about this is wrong. This is not what God has for your life. This is not going to be good for you. The Bible uses words like immorality to say, this is not on the path of what God has. It's very clear in Scripture, and it's what he's referring to here, that it's it's a gift and it's something that should be uh, relished in the context of a a relationship between these two people. You know, uh, not long ago, I was listening to my son Dominic on a phone conversation. I don't know if I was supposed to be listening or not, but it was pretty close by, so I was just listening. And my son's 17, and he was talking to one of his friends, Jordan, and I can hear them talking about some spiritual stuff, and I can hear them talking about marriage. So I'm kind of listening, and I can hear him just saying like, what? No, no, that's, that's wrong. That's crazy. No, you shouldn't believe that. And he's just kind of like giving this, this girl a little bit of pep talk and I, he hangs up and comes and I say, Dominic, what was that all about? He said, I was talking to Jordan. I, I said, what did she ask you? And she, he said, Jordan asked me, is it okay to be in a marriage, but then marry other people or be with other people? And my son said, no, no, that's, that, that's weird. You can't be married to a whole bunch of other people. You're supposed to be married to one person. You can't be sleeping around with other people. Isn't that going to make you feel insecure in your marriage? And i was just so proud of Dominic. I'm listening to him, and I said, wow, that's cool, Dominic. Awesome job. Great advice. And I said, what did she say back to you? And This is amazing. She said, I was just calling through my, my contacts of other teenagers and asking them that, and they all said it was okay. You're the first person I called that said it was wrong. And I'm just thinking, what? No way. And I was just thinking and pondering and brokenhearted over just what is this definition that's out there and what is happening? And in this teenage realm, in this little area of my life with my teenagers, you know, what is being said and what is being justified? And what are the messages that they're receiving that can take them off the right path? This passage is saying it very clearly. This is an awesome opportunity to meet each other's needs. You know, I love this part that it says the husband should fulfill his wife's needs and the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. Do you know that's extremely countercultural 2,000 years ago? Back in that day, the women did not have a voice and women weren't very heard from or there wasn't a lot of thoughts about a woman's life, let alone her needs. And what Paul is casting the vision to is that this is not a selfish thing for one spouse or the other. This is an opportunity to meet each other's needs. This is an opportunity for a married couple to care for one another, to talk about this, to, to find out you know, what is comfortable for you and what's comfortable for me, and how do we love each other? And it's just like all the other areas of marriage that God has in mind. My wife and I would communicate about our finances and say, where are we going together in our financial goals? Where are we going with our family and our children? How are you doing with the Lord? How can I love you better? How can I communicate better? How can I listen to you better? And there's this beautiful opportunity in marriage to come together and say, how can we serve each other and meet each other's needs in all areas? And Paul is saying, hey, don't forget to do that in this area of all areas. This is an opportunity to love each other, to cherish each other, to listen to each other and to talk about this and to make sure that you're selfless. That word again that the Corinthians needed to hear, they needed selfless intimacy. They didn't know how to live selflessly. They only lived selfishly. And they didn't understand the beauty of the intimacy of being together For decades. And I love reading the studies. They're out there, and I'll just let you go research them. But the the couples that are married for a long time, a husband and a wife that love each other, that pray together, that value God's word, this area of their life gets better and better and better. Those are the people that the surveys say. There was a, a study at a University of Chicago that said those people that enjoy sex in that realm are the people that enjoy it the most and have the most frequency. So the world lies to us and tells us something very different. And what Paul is saying here is what plays out in our life. The real intimacy that you're looking for, if this is a part of your life, is in a marriage. Moving on to verse 4. It says, the wife gives authority over her body to her husband, and the husband gives authority over his body to his wife. Now, this is a really important word, authority. Okay? And I just want us to pause and think about why Paul is using this word is because the, the underlying message here is that for us to give ourselves to someone else and that authority, we have to have authority over our own bodies. The Bible is teaching here that you can lead your own body, that you and I have a stewardship over our body, over our mind, our heart, and our passions, and that we have that authority, and that means that I am the boss of my body. My body is not the boss of me. Our world lives in a way, most of the time, that it's whatever my body tells me to do, that's what I have to do. And we get out of control. We get off track. We can't guard our eyes. We can't guard our mind. We don't take care of our heart or eventually our our physical bodies because we're out of control. And Paul is saying, you have authority here. You have a stewardship to lead your body in a way that glorifies God. And the amazing thing is that when you stand up on that altar and you're getting married... Okay, and you're there before God and your family and friends, and you're making these vows, a vow for a lifetime. What you're saying is, I'm ready to give this stewardship to you. I'm ready to to give myself to you, all of myself, and I love you, and I trust you, and I believe that you're gonna take good care of me so much that I will make this vow to give myself to you. That is amazing. That's a huge decision. And then that spouse on the other side says, yes, I love you, and I trust you so much, and I want to be with you till the day I die. I'm going to give stewardship to myself, uh, to, to yourself. And there's this amazing sacrifice, this amazing surrender to one another that's beautiful. It's not about anything about power. It's not anything about abusing that authority. It's not about bossing our spouses around. It's about a gesture of love with the most intimate gesture you could give. That's why we view sex so high because that's what God is describing it as. It's not something that we just view lightly. And so this purity and this intimacy takes an effort and an intentionality to really understand what God wants and then to lead ourselves in that way. You know, a few... Weeks ago, we had something pretty amazing happen in the party household. It's just such a great story. We're all just very excited right now. My daughter, my middle child, who is 12 now, she has always loved horses, She's been very passionate about having a horse. Now, if you live in a normal neighborhood, you think, well, we can't get a horse. You're just going to have to, you know, go ride somewhere. But we live where we have a little bit of space and we have a pasture and we have a big barn. And so my daughter's like, Dad, we can do this. Mom, I really want you to get me a horse. So we've been praying and, and thinking through this and talking for a couple years. And it really, it was just like, can and should we do this? And what does this mean for us? And how would we afford this? And this place that Bella has been riding, they have like 60 horses, there's this one horse that they just thought, man, this would be such a great horse for Bella. So we started talking to these amazing, wonderful people, and a few weeks ago, they said, we would like to give you this horse for free. We were like, oh my goodness. We were so thrilled. So Bella is just on cloud nine about this horse. Here's a picture of her on the right there. That's my daughter and her really cool, beautiful horse, Aylin. She named it Aylin, which means joy. So it's super exciting, okay? I am petrified, okay? I'm really scared for her. I've always been scared. When I was a little kid and I was around a horse, I was scared, and later on I'm scared, and even now I'm so scared that she's going to get hurt. And when I walk into that stall and I see Aileen with those big eyes, they just look like they're saying, I will trample you. I will trample you if you come too close. And I'm just like, nice horse. <laughs> so there's this excitement and this, this joy, but there's also this fear, maybe a healthy fear. And to this horse, what we're learning, and what we're learning from these people that are training her is that this horse is beautiful. And it's majestic to see it run, and it's wonderful, and it brings all these great emotions. But you have to train this horse. You have to get the bridle on this horse, and you've got to put the bit in the mouth. That's why I have that other picture up there, so you could see this bridle. And and they would tell us, you need to control this animal. So on one side, there's just like, wow, this is awesome and fun, and this is great, But if you're too careless and you start letting it run around and pulling on its tail or you don't take care of it right, it's going to get loose. It's going to not only hurt somebody or hurt something, it could hurt itself when it's unbridled. But on this other realm is kind of maybe where I am. It's like I'm just afraid, so I don't even want to be near it. and I didn't want to have one at first. And what we're trying to find to do is to bring these together, this healthy fear to control this 1,200-pound animal. And when Bella was riding it one day, and it was kind of getting a little out of control and just super energetic, the girl trainer just said, you just pull on that bridle. You, You control it, and you be the boss. And if you don't, this is her words, it will bully you. I was like, wow. That is so insightful. We're putting my 12-year-old on a gigantic, powerful horse and hoping it doesn't bully her. And man, this is what we encounter in this sexual realm. It's so amazing to think of, oh my gosh, what a responsibility you and I have in some ways, our passions and all this area and everything we're being bra, it's a big, powerful, strong animal, and it has the potential to run and do beautiful things and be trained and run around barrels and bring joy to our life. But if we don't control it, if it's unbridled, it can bully our lives, and it can ruin lives. And so we have got to be before the Lord. We have to be able to walk with God in this area. We can't be bullied by this, but we can't do it ourselves. I don't have it in me and you don't have it in you to get this area into check. We need to walk with God. We need to depend on His grace. We need to say, God, you fill me with your spirit. You give me the direction and help me in this so that I can enjoy all the beauty of this area, but in a way that doesn't hurt me or hurt the people around me. And that's really what God's asking us to do, which leads us to this next part of the verse about what's really important in your life. Here's what Paul says. Do not deprive each other of sexual relations unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so that you can yourselves be more com- uh, completely, to- you can give yourselves more completely to prayer. What Paul is saying here is that this is not the little g God in your life. What's really important, more important than this part of your marriage or your life, is that you put God first over all things in your life. He's the one that designed it. He's the creator. He gives us the definition. He leads us. He's the gift giver. And so he wants us to enjoy that gift, but he wants us to worship him. We worship God as the gift giver, not the gift itself people elevate this area too much and it just dominates their mind and their life and leads them astray because God isn't first in their life. And he's saying, you know, take a break from this area sometimes and just give yourself to prayer. You be devoted to me, number one, and have the spouse devoted to me. And you come back together and you talk about what God is doing in your life. And that's beautiful, and that's intimate, and that's the most important part. Having God in the center of your relationships, that's what brings the joy and the intimacy and the direction, and it's just fantastic because you're always giving credit and worship to the gift giver, God. Looking to Him brings the intimacy, just not even in in marriage, but in all of our relationships as we put him as the primary focus. So where does God have you today in this area? Where are you as we we start to wrap this up? Are you really looking to God to to help you in this and to define this area of your life? And I know just from, you know, talking to people over the years and and asking them questions and and them sharing things with me, even looking at my own life, um, I think maybe we can be in two camps here. Maybe you're sitting here today and you're thinking, man, this is great in my life right now. I feel in God's will. I feel that there's purity in my life. I know what direction God wants me, whether I'm single or married, because those areas both need purity and direction. And you're just sitting there thinking, yeah, this is great. I know where I'm going and this is fantastic. And I just want to say to you this morning, man, that is so great. Don't let the world talk you out of that. Whatever he's directing you to do and you're walking in that, celebrate that. And the tide of the world might be against you of what you see, what you do, and what you think. But be assured there are many other people with those same convictions, with those same attitudes. And we're celebrating that together because it's God's will. And he has our best in mind. He's not trying to steal any joy from us, just the opposite. He's trying to make it the best for us. And so continue in that and encourage other people to go in that same direction. You know, there's others, and I could probably more relate to this side of of in my past, where there's things that I regret. There were missteps and bad decisions that I made that hurt me hurt the people around me, hurt my wife. And maybe in this area, you have thinking, man, I, I have regrets. I have shame. There's guilt in my life. Maybe it's so overwhelming for some of you think, gosh, I don't even know if I could pursue what God wants. That bar seems awfully high, and it just seems unrealistic. And this is just pastor church talk, and I'll just never get there. You know that God is saying to you, that you have hope. He loves you. He wants to forgive you. He wants to wash you clean, regardless of what you've done, whatever patterns are in your life, shame, embarrassment. Maybe this is just so vulnerable. You've never even told some people some things that you've been through because it's so vulnerable. And God is just saying, come to me with that. Let me love you. Let me restore you. Because Jesus died on the cross for your sins. Jesus died on the cross for your sexual sins. He knows those things. It doesn't surprise him. And he's waiting there with open arms to make things new. I love this quote by Sheila Ray Gregory. She says this, Your purity, urinized purity, is not based on what you've done with your body. It's based on what Jesus did with you. With his. Isn't that amazing? Some of us have made terrible mistakes with our body. And we could let that define you. And Jesus is saying, don't let that define you. Because I did something with my body, which was to sacrifice himself for you so you could get back into that purity, that wholeness, that righteousness. The Bible says if Jesus is in us, we're made whole. We're made holy. And He's making all things new. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, you're a new creation. The old is gone. And behold, all things have become new. Regardless of where you are today, would you embrace that? Would you say, today is a new day for me? Not because of what I said or what H2O is doing or, or some kind of willpower that I have. It's a new day because Jesus wants to help me. Jesus is making all things new. Jesus has given me permission to let the old things be gone and to start something new today. And the next day, he's making something new. And the next day. And it's such an amazing privilege to walk with God in His love and His grace, because He wants to help us in all this stuff, including this area, and we can give that to Him. Let's pray and ask Him to do something new. God, we come before You and just thank You that You have the power. You have the the grace. You made the ultimate sacrifice to die and rise again. To make us new. And God, I just pray that each person here would just have hope and optimism and excitement of how you want to lead our lives. God, you're so worthy of our acceptance. You're so worthy of our thoughts, our heart, our body, everything that is us to just lay it at the altar and say, God, this is yours. A spiritual act of worship is to lay our very selves down at the altar and say, God, I'm broken. I'm, I'm flawed. I've made so many mistakes. And I have nothing to offer you but my heart. And Jesus, we're just so grateful, Lord, that when we do that, you're just welcoming us with open arms, and you say, I got this. I will make this new. You take that burden off of our shoulders. You take it upon yourself, and you say, walk with me as I change things, as I make things better, as I speak to you in deep, deep ways to encourage you and to heal you. You love doing that. You're in the business of making things new and changing things. And God, give us the faith and the courage to step into that today. In Jesus' name, amen.